0: Welcome to HashiCast, the self-proclaimed number one podcast about the world of DevOps practices, tools, and practitioners. Today's guest is Cheryl Hun, who's a product manager at StorageOS. She's also a CNCF ambassador and the organizer of the London Cloud Native Meetup. Welcome, Cheryl. How are you doing? I want to give you a very brief introduction, but why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and also Storage OS?
1: Hi, Nick. It's really great to to be joining today. Um, so, as you mentioned, I'm Cheryl Hung. I'm a product manager at a startup in London called Storage OS. Um, storage OS is about fifteen people at the moment, so it's still pretty small. Um, but we work in the container storage space.
0: And what what Specifically, so how long has Storage OS been around? Are you're you a, a new startup?
1: The company was founded in 2015 by three people who are the CEO, the CTO, and the VP of Engineering. So I joined at the beginning of 2017. So I've been there just over a year now.
2: So Cheryl, one of the things that we're really interested in understanding is is that why people join the, the technology space? Uh, so, what drove you to join the technology space? And also, I believe that you worked at Google and then moved to Storage OS.
1: Yeah, so I, before I joined Storage OS, I was a software engineer at Google. Um, being a software engineer at Google was something that I decided I wanted to do when I was probably 14 or 15. Um, which was in the early days of Google when Google was still the super young, very cool tech startup where they give you free food and massages and everything is fantastic. Um, but it really interested me, uh, what they were doing. And at the time I knew I was good at mathematics, but then I wanted to get into computers and software engineering. So everything I did from that point was. With this idea that I would be a software engineer at Google. So I went to Cambridge, I got a computer science degree. Um, at 21, I joined Google and I stayed there for a little over five years working on Google Maps, writing C on various different backend teams. Um, and after five years there, I thought it was about time to get out and see what else is happening in the industry. Um, so I quit Google and I took about a year off. And then I actually bumped into one of the founders of storage OS at a conference.
0: Like Literally bumped into?
1: Literally bumped into. So we were standing at somebody else's stand, inspecting the t-shirts because t-shirt quality is very important when you're at a conference.
0: Super important.
1: (laughs) And at that time, so the funny thing was at Google, I'd used Borg a lot, which is the kind of internal predecessor to Kubernetes. Um, and it wasn't until I left Google that I got into Docker and Kubernetes. Uh, and so when I met Simon, who uh, is at Storage OS, and he told me about the problems that they were working on, I thought, hmm, there's actually something interesting interesting here. And I can see that the whole industry is moving towards containerization. So it's kind of a good good timing.
0: Because um, Google Google have got their own kind of like storage layer or something, which accompanies Borg is that I'm not overly familiar with them.
1: So Borg or Google's infrastructure, just like like Google Cloud or Azure or AWS, have tons of different options for storage, um, and each comp- each project, and each team uses different ones for different things. Um, ironically, this means that I had absolutely no real awareness of storage while I was working at Google. Because at Google, you just declare, I need this much storage and magic happens in the background and all the teams provision all the storage and there's nothing to worry about. And, but that, that's how I dealt with also CPU or how many, you know, all the other resources that you would expect to need. Um, so it wasn't until I left and I, and then I really realized storage is a much different problem or more difficult problem um, compared to any of the other options.
2: So is one of the goals of Storage OS is to solve that storage problem in a way that you're able to provide Google Borg-like experience to normal people like us?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. It's, it's a really nice experience as an engineer to not have to think about anything beyond I need this much storage. Um, it does make you very lazy because you just, how much storage do I need? Uh, some number and round up a bit. So I'm sure the operations team were, were less happy. Or the SRE team, um, but as an engineer, it is a very nice experience. Um, but on the other hand, there's there's a lot of storage platforms which have APIs, and it looks like you can just declare you need this amount of storage. But once you dig into it, you realize there's a lot more behind. You know, just because you provide an API, it doesn't mean storage is a solved problem.
0: Good, and I, and I find this really interesting about building applications because. For the majority of us, we're, we're using cloud compute. We're, we're using products that are like Prometheus and you know Grafana and and things like that. We've we've kind of got to, in some ways, build our own platforms that we're we're, we're sort of putting our applications on. You're obviously a, a CNCF ambassador. Can you talk to us a little bit about what what that means and and also I think it's. Always good opportunity to get a good plug-in for the London Cloud Native Meetup.
1: Sure. Um, the CNCF, uh, the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, is a nonprofit foundation that's part of the Linux Foundation. I think it was founded about two, three years ago as a home for Kubernetes to live in once Google decided that it should be open source and it should be independent. And the CNCF do... Uh, a variety of things, um, part is to do with governance and technical oversight, so they don't, they don't control where the projects go, but there's a structure in place so that the projects have some elections and they can be, um, steered in the right direction. Part of it is a marketing and awareness, arm, Um, and part of it is community and education and bringing the idea of cloud native which is to say um, containerization, running things in a scalable way and dynamically provisioning resources um, to a broader audience. And meetups are are a big part of that. So I founded the Cloud Native London meetup in June of 2017. um, And we're now up to about 1,200 members. So we have a really good turnout at each meetup. And it's a great place for people to come and come and speak and learn
0: i personally thoroughly recommend it if anybody is in in london they, they should definitely join up and, and come along because the meetups are always really really great quality like a mini conference you i mean 300 people or something you'll get at a meetup crazy numbers
1: yeah it's uh there's, it just shows the enthusiasm of of the indus- of the people in this industry um, and also, speakers like you, Nick, since you've come and spoken at Cloud Native London Meetup as well, um, and that's really what the draw is for people. You know, it's to meet, it's to learn about the technologies, and to meet other people in this space.
0: I certainly had a lot of fun, but we should probably talk a little bit about storage because storage, for me, is I, f- I find it a very kind of confusing sort of architectural concept because we've we've got like stateful and we've got stateless but containers so I read a lot of stuff and it, and it says you know you should design your applications they should be stateless um, you, you shouldn't sort of you can't rely on storing things in a container because it's immutable but actually building a stateless application it, it isn't that easy um, and it's it's not really always that that sort of practical so i believe storage os is is trying to kind of solve that that problem by giving this this easy access to um, to persistent storage that the application developers can can rely on but don't necessarily need to think about how it got there so much probably similar to the way that you were working at google now I think it's probably worth discussing this a little bit further. So could you give us a few examples maybe of why you feel that stateful services are, are actually useful and maybe some examples of stateful services?
1: There are some really excellent reasons why containers are supposed to be immutable and stateless. Um, that simplification allows you to, to spin things up and down and to not worry about the the actual host that it's running on. Um, and for this reason, I think ninety to ninety-five percent of what you do in your application that you can make stateless, you should you should make stateless, and you should focus on getting those into containers. If you've decided that's the right solution for you, focus on those first. Um, then the last five five or ten percent, the stateful ones, are the difficult ones. Um, and Storage OS actually was founded by people from the financial services industry. So banks, um, like my CTO was the head of storage at Goldman Sachs and at a bank, a bank has usually invested a lot into its existing infrastructure and they have existing applications running on top of it, which are probably based on databases and they, they don't have the luxury of throwing everything away and rewriting it on S3 for example, and they don't have the luxury of throwing all their infrastructure away either because they've invested millions into, into this. So that layer in the middle of take being able to abstract away your existing infrastructure or, or any infrastructure really, but from the developer's point of view, having that on-demand storage as you need it, that's what, that's where storage OS sits. And there's a lot of problems with running stateful applications, which you don't really want to be solving again and again and again. So, for example, replication, or when a node goes down, how does your application recover? Or how do your many applications have to recover from, um, you know, I/O failures, or you know, having to rewrite this and again, again, and again and again is difficult for one thing and time-consuming. Um, so, StorageOS kind of manages that layer in the middle. So, you can do the replication of that layer rather then in your application.
0: I guess it gives you a clean abstraction as well because you, a lot of sort of people try to avoid lock-in, um, but you, it's really difficult to avoid lock-in. It's not just about sort of choosing your data stores wisely, whether you're using kind of Aurora or, or something like that, but. Actually, your underlying storage—if you've got all of your your files in S3, for example—and you've got direct connections in your applications to S3—you've got an inherent codified dependency on on AWS. And and I guess one of the other benefits of, of storage OS is that you you're actually putting a thin abstraction layer in between your application code and the the sort of the cloud infrastructure, as well as uh, maybe an, an on prem. Infra,
1: right, exactly. Um, really, that's all storage OS is. It's an abstraction layer for storage. Um, but for people who, and the majority of people who are running, who are moving existing applications, you know, most people are not working on absolutely brand new stuff. Most people have legacy applications they have to work with. Um, if they are looking to now in the future move to AWS or, what well, a cloud provider or have a hybrid infrastructure, um, then they they want to know that they're not going to be locked into this for the next 20 years. Um, I mean, everything changes a lot in 20 years' time. Who knows what? Um,
0: everything changes a lot in, in, it seems like, every time I, I reopen Twitter.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: So on, on, the,
2: on, on the solutions perspective, I feel like, One of the things I really like about, uh, you know, storage OS is that it supports different options. So you can use S3, NFS, EBS, you know, the cloud provider of your choice. And I think you just mentioned that you can mix and match as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, So from a a developer's point of view, you just care that you get a volume that you can mount into a container or into your pod if you're using Kubernetes. Um, You don't really want to worry about underneath what's happening. But from the infrastructure side, then yeah, you can use whatever makes the most sense for your, your company and for your team and for your project. That's super cool.
0: And, and this is interesting as well, I think, because I mean, quite often you, you want to be choosing the storage that's right for the application. There's not necessarily one storage which fits all. Sometimes you want Fast storage because you're running a database application. Sometimes you want cheap storage because you just want to dump images or, or, or you know, or, or flat files or logs or, or something like that. How I guess with with storage OS because you're just dealing with that volume mount. You it's it's completely abstracted away. You can leave it. You, uh, leave it to the sort of the the abstraction to and change it, I guess, if you need, uh, if you need to.
1: Mm, yeah, I mean, ch- changing your storage, your underlying storage, is always going to be a bit risky and a bit of a scary proposition. Um, and you're totally right that there's never going to be one storage solution that fits, fits everything. So S3 is really excellent for, um, for backup and archival for example, or for storing large blobs of data. Um, but you should probably not be running a database on top of S3. If you're expecting to try and get the, if you're using it as the, you know, transactional database, that's got a high number of reads and bytes. Um, but similarly storage OS is probably not the perfect solution for everything either. Um, storage OS is really built for the, the database use case. Um, it's, not so great for if you have gigantic files, in which case you might want to look at something like GlusterFS, FS, which is really or Ceph, which is really designed for. But what about
0: so? I suppose uh, Minio is 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 becoming quite quite popular for for in, as an abstraction and interacting with S3. But I guess storage OS uh, with could could solve a, a very very similar problem but but giving you even a higher level of abstraction because i may choose not to use my s3 i may want to use azure object store because i'm i'm getting a, a a better deal or there's better performance
1: yeah exactly exactly so it's the sort of thing that should be abstracted away from from your application you know, your application should not be dependent on, yeah, you should not be hard coding S3 into into your application because that leads to operational difficulties. And in the future, you end up having to support multiple, potentially multiple um, backends. And it's not just storage either. This applies to many things, but storage is a particularly difficult one.
0: So talk about the, uh, the architecture, if you would. So how does, so where does storage OS, um, where does it sit in the in the stack, and and how is it affect? You know, what's the performance like, as opposed to to sort of say Docker just hitting an EBS or something like that.
1: So storage OS, um, it's deployed as a container. So you run one container per node, or one like a daemon set, um, and it discovers all of the local storage that's attached to each of the nodes and creates a virtual storage pool over the whole cluster. So from that virtual storage pool, you, uh, an ops person would create volumes and mount those to containers. So that's the abstraction. That's where it sits from the point of view of an administrator and a a developer. Um, The nice thing about this model is that If one of the node nodes goes down and your pod gets rescheduled to a different node, then you don't have to be aware or your application doesn't have to be aware of whether you're accessing the storage locally or because it's just an abstraction layer over the entire, entire cluster. Um, regarding performance. So the, the model of storage OS is a sort of hybrid master replicas model. So you have the entire volume on one node, the master volume, and then replicas of that are distributed to different nodes. So one replica per node. Um, And you can choose between zero and five replicas. And those are written to synchronously. So every write that comes into the master will get written in parallel to the replicas. And when those are successful, then the byte succeeds. Um, but the reason it's designed like this is because if you're running a database and the master goes down, then you really do not want to have interruption of service. if you're using a distributed solution where the data has been sharded across a bunch of, um, nodes, then. There's going to be a reconstruction period when you have to read and write from different nodes and that creates a lot of network traffic and, and so on. So instead, storage OS will just switch one of the replicas to become a new master and your pod gets rescheduled somewhere. It doesn't matter where, and it just continues to access as it has done. Um, and in the background, we'll reschedule a replica and resync a new replica to replace the one that was missing. That's neat
0: i mean that's really neat
2: one of the questions i had was uh i hear a lot of kubernetes specific uh you know uh, abstractions like pods and and daemon sets uh would this work in like someone just using docker you know as a daemon on ec2 or would this work in other schedulers like mesos and nomad
1: yeah it will work without kubernetes it will work with just pure docker um, in fact the name is very misleading because storage os is not an os but when it was first founded as a company it this was before Docker was a really big deal, um, and it really was an OS. <laughs> and then it changed, and we were like, okay, let's just package it up as a container and deploy it as a container. Um, and now Kubernetes has become the next big thing, and that's why we're shifting a lot of effort into all of the Kubernetes nations One more thing I, I um, wanted to talk about was you mentioned EBS volumes, Nick. Um So EBS volumes have one distinct downside if you're running um, Kubernetes or uh, orchestrated containers, which is that the if a node goes down, then the detach and reattach time of an EBS volume can be very long. It can be between 45 seconds up to an hour. Wow. So if you're expecting your pod to just be able to shift to a different node and continue running, then that's not a great um, model for it. And this is not just EBS specific. Anytime that you have that kind of SATN set up, then it's going to take a long time to, to detach and reattach. Um, so that's why having the, the abstraction layer or the, the software defined storage layer means that you don't see that in the background you know, storage us can just redirect the and writes to a, a replica and you don't even need to be aware of it.
0: And that, that sounds, no, I was going to say that that's really cool. I was just, when I was kind of poking through the, the documentation, cause I've been itching to, to try, try it out on, on maybe a scheduler that HashiCore produces or, or something, but, um, Nomad? Maybe maybe, maybe nomad, but it didn't look that complicated. I mean I'm not I'm not the smartest guy on the planet. And I think I could probably manage to get things up and running. It 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 really does look quite quite straightforward um and, and pleasant to work with.
1: Yeah, that that was one of my other goals, or, or something that drove sort of draw drew me towards Storage OS is that it, it takes a very complicated problem, and actually makes it quite simple to, to just do. Um, and and something that I find interesting about storage in general, that storage is actually quite an easy problem to, to say, you know, you just never lose my data and just make it available when I need it. You know, it's a very simple problem, very complicated solution. So the more you can do to, to make it straightforward to set up, the, the better.
2: So let's switch focus to uh, Kubernetes for a bit. So I've used Kubernetes in my previous jobs and you know one of the things I really liked about Kubernetes was this idea of operators defining storage classes so you could use storage classes to define what type of storage you can offer in a Kubernetes cluster so you can have slower storage devices faster storage devices more expensive high performance storage devices and you can expose them by using storage classes So how does storage OS integrate with Kubernetes storage classes?
1: There is a storage OS Kubernetes plugin, an entry plugin. Um, So in fact, when you're defining your storage class, you just specify the storage OS provisioner um, from Kubernetes 1.7 onwards, I believe. Um, And then from that point, it's exactly the same as you would use for any other, you know, persistent volumes, persistent volume claims,
2: this is really awesome. That's really awesome. Because, like, yeah, like that, that's exactly where you would feel the, the integration should be in place, where the provisioner uh, definition is. And instead of pro- providing AWS EBS, you just say uh, storage OS, and that should just work.
0: I've got a really cool product idea for you. And, and you can have this one for free if you're not already working on it it's not already a feature. Sure. But um, so I'm a developer, and Mishra is an operator. So Mishra says to me what kind of storage do you want for your application so as a developer i say the fastest always the fastest because that's the easiest thing for me i don't need to worry about it i don't need to do any benchmarking so my product idea for you is do you have any mechanisms built into storage os which which could actually analyze the way that i'm using the storage and potentially recommend that the you know the 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 fast ssd based storage that i'm using for for storing one image every 3 days is is potentially not the best the best option and and really what i should be just using is a is a cloud storage bucket is there any sort of capability like that which which could uh, assist and potentially even auto tune the the storage options
1: hmm. That's an interesting, really interesting idea. Um, We have, we do collect such metrics, but we don't really do anything with them at the moment. Well, we expose to Prometheus, a bunch of metrics, um, but we don't do any tuning under the hood. There's a couple of um, mechanisms, uh, one of which is that as a developer, you probably should not be saying, I want SSD, you should be saying, I need storage, which I'm going to run in a production environment and Misha as the operator defining the storage class should say anything that um, is defined as being in a production environment needs to be replicated two times and it needs to be provisioned on SSD and it needs to be provisioned on us, whatever locations, because that's what the operator is, is more aware of. Um, so we've got a mechanism in in Storage OS to be able to define that kind of policy setup, but it it does mean that a developer should not. So the developer should just be saying should be declaring the the type of storage that they're using rather than the characteristics of the storage that they want.
0: What are you going to be doing with the storage? Are you going to be running a database, or are you going to be dumping log files which need Fast write or fast read access.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's it's not something that every developer should need to know.
0: It's normally the sort of thing you find out when you realize your application's misbehaving and you start digging into the metrics to find find bottlenecks. But it's it's maybe something we should be better at, at discussing up front and having those non functional conversations. Should be, exactly, yeah. Those are just implementation details, I feel.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean there's some some things that Soadress can do to try and get you better performance so you don't have to think about it as a developer. Um but in that particular case.
0: Maybe next year.
1: Yeah. It's it's a it's an interesting idea. Maybe um maybe like a year from now. <laughs> yeah. This
2: is this is an enterprise product in the brewing which is good, which is good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> My founders all come from banking. Backgrounds where they really do care about enterprise things like encryption, for instance. So
0: so this is interesting as well, I think, because I'm, you know, I've I've kind of never really worked in the financial sector. I mean, I've never really worked. I've never worked in the financial sector, but the problems that the financial sector deals with from a tech perspective is massive. I mean, they're, they're dealing with petabytes worth of data. I mean, I'm sure every transaction for every person ever from a banking system is gonna be recorded somewhere in a, in, in a data store.
1: Absolutely, and, and banks are also conservative by nature. Um, ironically, that's not entirely fair because the tech at banks has tends to be quite cutting edge because they have to keep pressing ahead. Um, otherwise their competitors will, will catch up. So, so storage OS has a bit of a strange model where our paying customers seem to me mainly banks and enterprise, um, because they're at the, the cutting edge or there's developers, DevOps, people who are cutting edge because they're in small companies and they can move fast and they're, they're working at the bleeding edge of everything. Um, so yeah, but it's quite nice to have a solution that can appeal to both. Like I still even though i'm even though i my title is product manager now i still consider myself more of a, an engineer than anything else um so yeah it's quite nice to be able to to have one which will work for both
0: do you miss cutting code
1: uh, i i i don't code on on the main product anymore i build demos and and little bits and pieces for myself um i'm very much happiest at the back-end API level. So I I, I dislike hardware. I dislike front-end development. I'm very, very happy in the sort of C++ and world and APIs and and that level. So there are little things that I build for myself, but yeah. Do I miss it on a day-to-day basis? It's a different challenge. It's a different challenge. Um, I now have some DevOps engineers as part of my team as well, and they do a lot to make sure that the product is stable and performant and the, it's well documented and all the other things aside from code that you actually need to do to make a product successful. So that has its own satisfaction.
0: Can we ask maybe not necessarily about the product, but um, I think about your your technical process, because I would imagine the listeners are actually quite interested in what does a, a sort of a... Um, a cycle look like at Storage OS from that ideation phase, right the way through coding, through testing, and and deployment. Because if you engineer a bug into Storage OS, it gets deployed in a bank, and they're dropping files or something. That's 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 bad, right? So you you've got to have a really interesting quality cycle around around the whole process. What does that look like? Mm. If you can talk about it.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I can talk a little bit, but actually this is one of my, my main focuses and one thing that I really want to get better at, um, or, or bring to, to storage OS a little bit more. Um, because my, so when I was working at Google, all these things are so kind of, there's so much part of the company tech culture that I didn't really think about it. It's like. Google search at the time pushed twice a week, and I never had to think about, you know, who's doing the QA or who's, you know, what happens if there's a bug. Is there a rollback procedure? Like, of course, there is a, a rollback procedure. Um, whereas a storage OS, because as you said, storage is not not a, it's not a product where there's a lot of leeway for or uh, for failure or for errors. And um, we have a lot, and and also because it's software-defined storage, you have to simultaneously test on a bunch of different infrastructures with a bunch of different orchestrators and with a bunch of different stateful applications and make sure that it works in all of those environments. Um, it is really a huge task. It's a huge project by itself. Um, so we have, we have some process around this, but yeah, not as much as I would like.
0: I mean, I think it's, that, that always fascinated me because, um, there's one thing I, I hate, and that's like getting woken up in the middle of the night. Pager, pager. pager alarms are are not my
1: Does anyone like being woken up by a pager? No.
0: No, nobody does. So
2: the funny thing is, the more you do it, you kind of become numb to it. So I was an operations engineer for, you know, three years and I went through this process, you know, every few weeks I would be on call and and believe me or not most of these pages they do end up coming in around 3am so this is usually when you're in like your deep sleep and you're you know you're you're dreaming and then suddenly your phone goes off and you have to wake up so the more you do it i feel like more like jaded you become and it's not good for your company cuz you know it, at this point you're just like working on you know 3 to 4 hours of sleep uh, you know coming into work the next day so, yeah, I wouldn't say it's the best experience to go through, but I think you get through
0: it. And there is hope. That's how I feel about it. Did you ever wake up at like, did you ever wake up at 3 a.m. when the pager hadn't gone off and wonder if the page, the page is broken?
2: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So like there was one week when I didn't get paged. And I, you know, we did an, a retro right after my, my week on call. I was like, okay, I think someone like deleted the PagerDuty inter- integration. So all these alerts are not going through the PagerDuty. Uh, but then it wasn't the case. But our, our product was actually stable for once, which was nice.
0: <laughs> and this, as in general, I think that whole kind of quality cycle of, of, um, of software engineering really interests me because i think in the world of distributed systems i don't know whether it's it's harder or whether we're more aware of the problems um, you know i i don't i don't know whether writing software these days is easier or harder i, I kind of lose lose a perspective of the past i, I feel it's better but um, it's it's something i find is really complicated takes quite a lot of time to do, but if you can get the sweet spot and you can get it right?
1: I think just like everything else, um, our ability to write more complex applications grows and our expectations of what our applications do also grows. When Google first started out, people were amazed at this thing that never went down. You know, people were like, oh my God, just the, the stability of it is is remarkable and now, everybody writing applications goes well i need to be able to scale to huge you know for when my my startup has a billion users i need to be able to scale to that instantaneously.
0: and i need six nines on my
2: yeah six nines yeah even like it's funny like day one people want google scale infrastructure and and we do have like gcp and amazon that you know that provide you azure right i should say all the cloud providers but like they provide you with that scale so i was also like kind of wondering about what do you what's your take on on things like you know amazon aurora spanner cosmos db because i feel like when amazon aurora was announced and i remember like i was watching i think i was watching like the live blog and it was announced and then a lot of people were you know a week after the conversations were like this is the future for database as a service and this is how it should look like. And then Google announced Spanner, which blew people away as well. So I feel like what do you, and they're becoming popular every day, right? So what do you actually think uh, what the future is for these products and where do you see that going?
1: I think they're great products. There's definitely a, a use case for those. Um, especially as a, databases is, is a complicated area, even for the, you know, no matter how mature your company is. So if you're small and it's not your, primary um, area of expertise, then by all means, I think you, you really should um, use managed services, just like most companies now, maybe not most companies, but a lot of small companies will start out and they'll use AWS by default because they don't want to be building their own infrastructure. Um, It's not the right solution for everybody. Clearly, otherwise there would be no reason for something like storage OS. Um, but sort of related to this, I had a conversation with uh, the CTO of a consultancy in London, and she was suggesting that in the future, she saw Kubernetes also just becoming, most people using managed Kubernetes services. Like why Why do you want to teach every single one of your developers Kubernetes concepts and getting them to run kube commands? Like you really don't want to do that. You just want somebody else to manage it.
0: And I think you probably won't even realize it's kubernetes under the hood and from from the container debate uh, week before last i I totally stand up and say you know maybe this is rancher won that they they had hands down the number of votes and they provide a great solution and they provide a great solution on top of a great platform but they take the the pain out of that so maybe that is a, a absolutely true the direction
2: yeah. I feel Kelsey also mentioned that in, in KubeCon, Kelsey was mentioning this. Like his demo was was Kelsey Hightower from Google. Uh, sorry, for people who, who who don't know who Kelsey is. Um, yeah, so he was mentioning like how uh, you know Kubernetes, like you know, t- giving everyone kubectl is not the solution that you know that people should go for. You shouldn't look forward to giving people kubectl. It's it's mostly what you give as a platform or like you know just even have something simple like, you know, people push to a Git repo and and that triggers a build and that deploys somewhere and, and you're able to see the logs and, 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 and get metrics out of your application. And that's okay for a lot of companies as well.
0: But I think the the other thing though, and I, I've been literally sitting for the last two minutes racking my brain to remember the name of the, the company, but there was a, a blog post and I don't recall if it was on Hacker News or where where I read it, but it was a company that had moved off AWS and back on to on-prem, well, to to their own tin, because they were saving a huge, huge, huge amount of money by, by making that transition. It was, I mean, it was a substantial amount. It was something like 30% of the cost running on tin, as opposed to paying a cloud provider. And if you're hosting bills a million bucks, then saving $700,000 is a is a considerable thing, and I guess if you do that, I suppose will we see the the kind of the install it yourself pass? but but I guess certainly you can use Storage OS in exactly that environment as well. It's just Docker, right? So you don't
1: exactly as long as you can run Docker, you can run Storage OS. Um, but the the vendor lock-in is a real Real issue for people, um, and one that they don't often think about until their bills get to that that state where they suddenly panic and go, "Oh, actually, monthly we're spending a lot of money on it." Um, but again, there's always there's always pros and cons, and maybe you don't want to be maintaining your own infrastructure because you don't want to hire the people and who have the right skills to do so.
0: Yeah, I think there's there's always always pros and cons. I think on the abstraction though, and the lock-in, and this surprises me that maybe the product does exist, but you you have a number of different sort of cloud variants of MySQL, which are are predominantly just MySQL. So therefore, it's using a, a kind of a standard TSQL interface. How come there's there's not a, a storage OS for 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 cloud databases where you could actually do any you know common interface any specific language translations inside the the application layer and um and you could probably provide a whole host of extra neat functions like centralized monitoring and logging and I don't know authentication or or something
1: I think that would be awesome I think it'd be amazing if uh, if we can get to that point um we are storage os is actually working um with some of the cloud providers so we're talking a lot to to aws and to azure in particular and so yeah watch this space
0: i will certainly be doing that.
1: that would be fun as as a as an engineer like that would be awesome
0: it would just be killer wouldn't it i mean the amount of times you you wrap your application code in what you believe is the correct abstraction to isolate particular dependencies and you still spend weeks or potentially even months switching out a data store because it's, it's not just about the interface. It's the mode of operation is often different as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, and this is something that, again, if you choose a cloud provider, you have to go with whatever managed database offerings they have. If you need a specific version that they don't offer or more, um, obscure database they don't offer, then you're really out of luck. I should mention one limitation actually for where storage OS runs, which is that it's Linux only, 64-bit Linux at the minute. Not one on Windows.
2: But who runs uh,
0: 32-bit Linux anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> I do. I've got 32, <laughs> 32-bit uh, Linux <laughs> on, my, on my Raspberry Pi cluster, which is... Oh yeah, you need, like, you need, you need highly available Raspberry Pi cluster.
1: I, I have actually wanted when I first thought about it, I was like, oh, huh, I could run a storage OS Raspberry Pi cluster, and that'd be really cool." But unfortunately, yeah. But I think there is a four-bit Linux for Raspberry Pi, no?
0: Um, yeah. Well, we should talk about this because I'm. Um, I I've been looking into this because I'm. I kind of like Raspberry Pi clusters. It's my. I wouldn't call it a hobby, but it. Um, it stops me watching Netflix binging, but. Um, you can actually, there is a, a more powerful version of the Raspberry Pi, which has got like a eight core processor. It's fully 64-bit, so it's using the ARM7, um, decent RAM. So if you stuck a full-blown insta- uh, installation of, say, um, Debian or something on there, but a 64-bit rather than the Raspbian's 32, that would be so cool. That would be a great hack project get storage OS on there, Docker, Kubernetes, console, Nomad Vault. You could literally have your own hack stack for a couple of hundred bucks.
1: Hmm. That would be quite fun.
0: It'd be totally fun. We should do that. Totally. So one final question, and a slightly less serious one. If you had to describe yourself as a CNCF product, which one would you be and why?
1: Huh. Huh. Interesting question. Um,
0: We're going for a high level of irrelevancy in these questions.
1: <laughs> so so I, I kind of, okay, this is not really a CNCF project. It's more of an area, but one that I think is interesting to me and I would like to be, which is all things serverless. I think serverless is super cool and I again, as a as an engineer, I really like the model of like just abstract away everything about infrastructure as much as possible. So whatever the next, I'm sure that some serverless project is is in talks with the CNCF to to become the next Inception project. So I would like to be that.
0: Awesome. What about you, Mishra? You're you're not getting off the hook. Ah, CNCF project.
2: Ah. Uh, I don't know. I think I, I loved, like, I, I, as an operator, struggled with uh, logging a lot, like logging systems. Um, I don't want to take names, but, you know, there's there's few, like, especially log shippers. Like, I, I struggled with those a lot. So when I used Fluentd for the first time, I, I felt like, you know, I found my match. And it just worked magically on different environments or different platforms for containers, without containers, for databases. And I, f- I felt like that, that was like the right solution at the right time for me. And that definitely like, you know, filled
0: a hole that I had in my heart. Awesome.
1: Well, Nick, now you have to... Oh, it's easy. You have ...to respond.
0: It's, it's completely easy. I'd be Kubernetes because I'm dependable and uh, complicated. Cheryl, thank you so much. We, uh, we do really appreciate it. Thanks, Cheryl. You've been listening to HashiCast. Our guest this time has been Cheryl Hung from Storage OS. Be sure to tune in next time.